Deke, you're my first on, podcast. Hey, first ever? For Cocktail Conversations. I love it. The inaugural. everybody it's happening this is cocktail conversations and i'm dave Gatneys. for those of you who don't know me i'm a political reporter in washington dc but this is a personal podcast unaffiliated with my employer gotta get that out there um this podcast won't really focus on politics at least not predominantly but instead it'll focus on conversations you might have over cocktails which could be some politics, but hopefully not a lot. I'm talking about culture, sex, music, lies, videotape, <laughs> all the good stuff. Anyway, Cocktail Conversations, we're going to just give it a shot. And since I'm calling it Cocktail Conversations, what better guest for the premiere than a bartender to talk cocktails? And we'll have a cocktail with each guest. That's sort of the hook through this thing. Deke Dunn is a bartender in Washington, D.C. at the Allegory a bar inside the Eaton Hotel downtown here in Washington. I met Deke through some friends, and he put on an impressive cocktail tasting for me and a few of my compadres. And as someone who tried his hand at the adventurous cocktail-making project at home during the pandemic, I immediately had tons of questions for Deke. So if you're a drinker or a frequenter of bars, a consumer of cocktails... This podcast is for you. But I'd love to hear from you about the podcast experiment. Either way, whether you like it, whether you hate it, DaveCatneys at gmail.com or at DaveCatneys on Instagram or Twitter. That's at D-A-V-E-C-A-T-A-N-E-S-E. Twitter, Insta, or DaveCatneys at gmail.com. Hit me up with your thoughts. For now, I hope you enjoy Cocktail Conversations, the debut, the first one. Here's Deke Dunn. So, first, what are you drinking? Cheers. Uh, cheers, man. Absolutely. Well, I'm, uh, I'm down in Miami right now, and rum, I mean, you can't come to Miami without drinking amazing rum, so I got my hands on a really nice bottle of a Probitas white rum. So I'm just okay. doing a little rum soda, a little highball. Nice. Something light, refreshing to uh, get the day started. So we met a few weeks back through a mutual friend, Nina Brigasi. Yeah. How, how do you know Nina? Um, I know Nina through my friend Lauren and Jason, who I knew through my previous political career. And she would come and support um, me at uh, the Game of Thrones pop-up bar oh, right. when I first worked there. And then also... She was a frequenter at um, Rasika West End when I bartended there as well. Right. She's so a big Rasika fan. So uh, we developed a friendship through that. Big Rasika fan. She, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She'd bring a lot of friends through. We just developed a friendship outside of work. I, I don't do very often with people. Right. Yeah. Um, so you did a lo- lovely thing for us. You did a tasting for us where I learned the drink that's dubbed the bartender's handshake. And that's kind of what, where I want to start because that's what I'm drinking. Something I would have not thought of drink drinking, frankly. And then you did this presentation for us. I'm, I'm into it. 
Um, nice. So, first of all, I guess explain what is the bartender's handshake, and then what is the drink that is the bartender's handshake. Well, in the in the cocktail world, um, the bartender's handshake is like definitely like a daiquiri. Um, right. There's other things like fernet or chinar, um, but like if if you talk to like a good cocktail bartender and they go up to a bar and they don't know anybody there, they don't know how good the drinks are. The first thing a lot of us will order is like a daiquiri. It's super simple. It's not what you'd expect. There's no strawberries. There's no like, usually that you don't, you don't reach for a blender, but it's, it's just white rum, sugar, fresh lime juice, super simple, three ingredients. You shake it, pour it. Um, it's nice and frothy. It's really balanced. Yeah. And um, you can tell a lot by a bartender by just seeing how they make a daiquiri because it's so simple. But if they know how to make a proper one, then you're probably safe ordering drinks from them for the rest of the night. If not, then you probably get like a light beer, you know? That's interesting. Why yeah. is it the daiquiri? Because it's, there's three simple ingredients and that's sort of the test. If the bartender well, can do that with and balance those correctly. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it goes back to the, what we call like the dark ages, you know, the daiquiri got, kind of perverted it got turned into this like fluorescent red strawberry daiquiri blended thing that people would get on cruise ships they got bastardized um the recipe did uh, i mean the original drink so simple just rum lime sugar and then you know the blender era the disco era kind of got its hands on it and turned into these crazy super sweet blended drinks with all these kinds of fruits and it really got away from the origins of the daiquiri that was invented back in cuba um so um it's the bartender's handshake because if a bartender knows the history of the daiquiri, that means they're at least somewhat invested in, in you know, making cocktails properly. That's um, fascinating. That they've had to at least do a semblance of research that they understand, you know, a bit of the history. And, you know, it's a simple history. It's a beautiful history. But, you know, if, if you don't know, then, you know, then like there's, you, get, you go to plenty of like dive bars or clubs, you know, they, they're not invested in their job. You know, it might be like a part time job or and there's nothing wrong with right. that but I'm just not going to order a cocktail from them. It's a really good barometer. And a daiquiri actually originated in Washington, D.C., right? So Cuba. Okay. So it was invented in a small Cuban town called Daiquiri, hence the name. And then it was popularized by Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway, who eventually would all have diabetes and no longer drink as much sugar, but still wanted to drink as much. Um, it's called the Hemingway Daiquiri. But uh, the Army-Navy Club in Washington, D.C. was the first... I mean, it's it's a it's not necessarily a dubious claim, but I mean, because like it's so hard to tell whether or not this is true. But it's it's a good story. So the Army Navy Club was the first bar outside of Cuba in the United States to introduce the daiquiri, and they even have a room called the Daiquiri Room huh. and a plaque and like the whole thing. And um, it's like fairly well verified, but you know, it's in history how well verified can anything really be, especially in the cocktail world when. So many of us are doing like the same thing at the same time, naturally, you know, nobody's ripping each other off. It's just like we all come to similar conclusions around the same time because of trends. And but I mean, it's it's a it's a really cool drink. And if somebody comes to my bar and orders a daiquiri, I immediately take a good look at them, <laughs> figure out, you know, where they work. You know, are they a bartender? Are, are they industry? You know, are they right. a food writer? Like, how, how do you how do you know? Well, yeah. now I know, and I'm going to use it, I think. Now yeah, the bars should. are opening back up, and I'm going to use your test case. As of yesterday. Amazing. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about you. you. You are a bartender here in D.C. at the Allegory, which is described as a pocket bar inside the Eaton 
yeah, DC we hotel because it's not a, it's not a speakeasy, right? Yeah, we don't know exactly where the pocket bar term came from. Okay, um, but it just kind of showed up at one point. Yeah, we're like we're speakeasy esque. Um, right. The only thing we really share with speakeasies is that like we um, we're we're we have an unmarked door next to some library books, and you know it's it's pretty dimly lit, and pretty sexy inside. Yep. Other than that, that's kind of where the similarities stop. You know, because we're, you know, we had DJs on the weekends. Um, we try to keep things like really lively and fun. Our, our goal is basically to have been like, we, we just want to be a 21st century cocktail bar. Like we're really, you know, we're focused on obviously progressive, amazing, delicious cocktails, like incredible vibes. But we're also really focused on, you know, like social issues and, you know, promoting, you know, um, advocacy and activism for, you know, marginalized groups. So it's like really trying to marry a lot of things that are very modern together. And um, th- like I said, that's kind of where this, we're hard to find. So people think we're a speakeasy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a, uh, the moniker is going to stick whether we like it or not. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're a little bit more than that. So you have a political background. So how'd you get into bartending and how, like how many years have you been bartending? How, how'd you get into it? Oh yeah. Um, just like any bartender, like, a lot just started in college right when they hit 21 you know I was in college needed a good paying job to help my way through college and I lied to get my first job I I (laughs) is that the lesson here (laughs) I mean so many bartenders have the same origin story it's actually crazy you know what's the lie why do you have to lie so I worked at a well because it's one of those classic like like cash 22s they want to hire people and they only want to hire you if you have experience, but you can't right. get experience unless yeah. you get hired. So you every industry is lie. like that, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, or you like work your way up. You know, a lot of people work their way up from like server, bar back, whatever. But, um, you know, a lot of bartenders just kind of fudge the truth. And I wasn't in- inherently lying. I was, I had worked a banquet bar once at a Hilton. So I had <laughs> technically bartended once before, but started out at a college dive, uh, like uh, not really a dive bar, but like a, college like sports bar just paying the bills and i loved bartending i love the atmosphere you know you make money but your friends can still come and see you it's still very vibrant um still feels a bit you know like you're out partying with your friends but you're not actually partying you're making money and the infectiousness of the job really stuck with me and in and i I, when i worked on the hill i worked part-time as a bartender on the weekends just to make some extra money because dc is crazy we're at like Hawk and Dove or uh, Wonderland Ballroom. Wonderland. Wonderland Ballroom. Oh man, yeah. I love that place. It's it's amazing. I left sweaty. I've left many a night sweaty there, but I oh, think yeah. I'm, I might be aging out. Of it, it is very sweaty. <laughs> I try to avoid Friday and Saturday nights. Yeah. I uh, but I, I do like the brunch shift. So I'd bartend every once in a while. I'd serve every once in a while. I just stayed involved in the industry. And then in 2016, the um, Personally, my the election that I was running, I was the campaign manager for a U.S. House race against Liz Cheney, actually, who's all over the news. Oh, wow. Um, my candidate was running against Liz Cheney, uh, like a fairly like moderate Republican, I guess. He would be like an absolute moderate these days compared right. to where we are now. We lost that campaign by a fairly handed, you know, sizable margin since Liz Cheney had an absolute war chest. And then the whole rising of Trump and um, the shifting of politics to more like a populist style. Like I was just, I was so burnt out. I was so done with everything yep. and I just wanted to be done with it all. And I just wasn't having fun anymore. I wasn't enjoying my job and that's really important to me. So yep. I ended up 
getting a job as security at the Game of Thrones pop-up bar in Washington, D.C. That is just right a, below me. Just completely random. Live. Really? In Shaw? Yeah. yeah. It's right below so, me. So were you, did you live there during the Game of Thrones pop-up oh, bar? Oh, yeah. I saw the oh. lines. I saw people with their sweet green hanging out. for. I couldn't understand it. Four or five-hour wait to get in. At one point, it was an eight-hour wait to get in for two months. <sighs> you ended up serving like, I think, uh, 1, 120,000 people. For months. total, total. Now, is that just the Game of Thrones, or was that all well, the that theme bars? That was just bars? the Game of Thrones bar. Because they had a Christmas bar, they had a oh yeah, you know, all of which were lucrative in their own right. But the but Game of Thrones. One hundred twenty thousand people came through the Game of Thrones bar in DC. Yep, in two and a half months. That's wild. Yeah, absolutely crazy. But um, the Game of Thrones bar, as much volume as it was, it was like the first time I'd ever seen craft cocktails executed in the way that they were. That's where you learned how to do sort of the craft cocktail is the Game of Thrones. That was my first introduction. Yeah, that was my first introduction because all the top bartenders in the city wanted to work there because one, the money was lucrative and you're still like making craft cocktails. Um, The company is very reputable. So I just kind of fell in with the environment and the the intellectual pursuit that all these bartenders were on. You know, they were all super smart, um, very driven, very scholarly when it came to their work, super professional, but also incredibly fun to be around. I, it was just infectious. So I fell in love, got a job at Reseca West End. And then oh, yeah. um, six months later, I got offered to work at the Gibson. And that's where I like really cut my teeth on cocktails and like really learned the bulk majority of what I, what I know now. And then I go and be the part of the opening team of Allegory. And now I run Allegory. So you so, had quite a trajectory. Yeah, that's pretty fast trajectory to, to high-end cocktail bars i I'm mean very you very fortunate yeah <laughs> i mean that seems like a really fast trajectory for someone who just got in it a couple years ago it sounds like right yeah it was it was a very fast trajectory i i'm very fortunate in the respect that i made friends with some of the best smartest bartenders in the city and i learned a lot from them kind of crash course from the beginning i got to skip a lot of the tripping and falling over yourself portion because yeah. i was working with people that were already top top bartenders in the country so share so share some of your insight when i walk into a bar what is the telltale sign of a good cocktail bar and a bartender who knows what he or she is doing well in my opinion the best bartender is the one that's gonna make you feel like you're sitting in your living room um like there was there was an era of cocktail bartending where it was very pretentious very, very stuffy like i'm just here to make really good drinks I, the, I don't even think that's like, you're not even a bartender at that point. Like bartending means tending the bar. So one, you have to be a master of making cocktails, but two, you have to be a master at creating an environment for people, getting people down at your bar, creating conversations, you know, being hospitable. So super friendly, um, knowledgeable, you know, it's very important that they ask you like a series of questions about what you like to drink and you know, to really guide you toward the cocktail that you want. You know, you might not know that you want a daiquiri, but they say, oh, do you want something light, refreshing, citrusy, maybe a hint of tropical? Like, oh, yeah, that all sounds great, but not too sweet. Yeah, definitely not too sweet. Like, perfect. Here's a daiquiri. You know, it's like it's yeah. our job to guide you on this journey that is, uh, that is our cocktail bar. And, um, you know, you, yeah, you kind of have to, one, be a, just a really good tender of the bar, as in you greet people and create a wonderful experience for people at the bar. But then also the cocktails, you know, you got you to gotta do both. You can't just do one or the other. You got to have both in your repertoire. So. What is the toughest cocktail to nail? Ooh, probably get... the uh, the Ramos Gin Fizz. Ooh, I love yeah. a Gin Fizz. Why, what yeah. makes that difficult? Well, it's, it's labor intensive. I think once you get the technique down, I mean, 
I feel like the Ramos Jim Fizz is probably the most like finicky, probably the most um uh the the most labor intensive and the most technique driven. So you just have to like it's this New Orleans brunch cocktail with egg whites and cream and gin and citrus and orange flower water and vanilla. It tastes like a almost like an orange Julius, almost, right. you know. Um and the key to cocktails is consistency, right? It's like food. If yeah. you're a chef, you want your you want that same meal to come out. So if that person's coming back three months later, it tastes the same, right? Yeah, exactly. Is that- that's exactly what you want. So that's why you measure everything out. We don't we don't deal with free pouring. I, we measure everything so that you are get you do get a consistent product. We spend a lot of time and effort developing our recipes, trial and erring. I mean, it's it's a tough job, but somebody has to do it. You know. You gotta, you gotta try your drinks until you get it perfect. <laughs> but how that's do you know? How, well, you're, you're not trying every drink. So how do you know if you're off? I mean, you I do, guess a customer do. will you, complain yeah, and say. Use, so uh, you, you straw taste every drink. You, you really do. Cause you, you do. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. So you're having a banger night where you're, thousands of people are coming through or hundreds. I mean, I don't know what, what kind of counts you're dealing with, but probably mm-hmm. you're, you're straw testing every drink. You, I mean, the rule is you straw test every drink. Now, granted, let's just say you make a daiquiri and it's, it's rum, lime, sugar. The reason why you straw taste that is because you don't know, maybe you grab the wrong sugar bottle. Maybe the lime is turning and it's a little bit off and you grab the wrong rum bottle, but you straw taste it. Boom. Tastes great. Awesome. You send it out. Next round, you have another daiquiri and you know that you just straw tasted those ingredients and you make it the same exact way and you, you're almost certain that you made it the same exact way sometimes I'll, I'll send that drink out without straw tasting it do you drink while if you I, work if it's a drink i haven't made in a bit no not at all never no drinking while we work is that a telltale well, we, that the bartender's charging. fucking around or it's, is that it's just a, like a fun thing i mean it's a personal preference but i do believe it's it it is slightly indicative of the bar bartender's professionalism um whether or not they're like heavily drinking a shot with some VIP guests or just guests in general. Right. Every once in a while is completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I've been to some of the top bars in the world and they'll take a shot with you because you're a bartender or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But if you see them ripping shots with multiple guests and they're getting sloppy behind the bar, right. there's nothing less appealing to me. If I'm hammered <laughs> and I'm sloppy and yeah. I'm like a daiquiri, you know, you pour a little bit of extra sugar in there, the balance gets thrown off. If it, even if it's just like a quarter ounce, and you can't make mistakes like that. Otherwise, you only have one chance with some people, you know? Right. Tell like, me about... I had this... Oh, go, oh, go ahead. ahead. Well, I had this experience where my good friend Al Thompson, he, uh, when I first got to know him, he was the bar director of Bar Mini, a world-famous cocktail bar. Yeah. Like they, they are world-famous. And... I really looked up to him and his pedigree and he's just an incredible bartender. He came in one night wearing like a baseball cap down with a friend and I didn't recognize him and he sat at the bar and I asked him what he wanted and I made him a pretty good drink. It was a pretty good drink because I was busy and I was flustered, you know, and I was like weeded and I gave it to him and I was like, Oh, here's a, uh, here's a variation on jungle bird. And he tried it and it was, I knew it was pretty good. I knew it wasn't amazing. And he didn't say anything because he's an absolute gentleman, but I know deep down that it wasn't a great drink and it, it terrifies me that I just gave somebody like Al Thompson a subpar cocktail. Oh, he's the bar director. Yeah, he was the bar director at Bar Mini and now he is the bar director for Tip Cow and Hanuman. 
Okay. Absolute boss of a bartender. Like so one why? Of best, one what, of the best in the world. What, what, what made that cocktail off? What did you get it, wrong? It's just, I didn't put any time. Uh, I didn't put enough time into it. So when you're, when you're, um, when I was, I was doing a variation on a jungle bird, which is a tropical cocktail, it's a little bitter, but it's tropical when you're dealing with juices and citrus and sweet, like you need to like work on it a little bit. If you're making it off the cuff to make sure that it's balanced, you know, straw taste it multiple times, you know, maybe add a tad more citrus, maybe add a tad more sugar, maybe a bit more booze, whatever the situation, I really just phoned it in. And I gave him what I thought was going to be like a pretty decent drink because I was just, I was flustered in the moment. And it, once I realized it was Ali, it terrified me. And it, and I just never want any, even, even if it wasn't out, I'm at the point where I don't want anybody to ever come into my bar and get a subpar drink because one, you never know who they are. And plus, if you're paying $16 for a drink, you deserve to have the best drink that you can possibly get, you know? So right. it's, um, yeah, it, since that moment it has scared me into scared me straight into uh straw tasting pretty much every drink that goes out because you want to make sure it's good you know so reputation is riding on it so tell me a little bit about how much the covid experience affected you economically as a bartender personally the industry how tough was the last year we're coming out of it now but how tough was the last year in the bartending industry it's been it's been hard. It's been hard to watch uh, people who are usually so busy, you know, just have being forced to sit on their hands, you know, have, being forced to, you know, choose between financial security and security, like health security, you know, that is very sad to see, especially people that, you know, going into the pandemic, I have a lot of friends who didn't have health insurance because we're bartenders. You know, a lot of places don't offer health insurance like my job does. It's a luxury. Also seeing people, you know, and their hard work really like all like all the people that made all the right moves, you know, they're smart. They built an amazing bar. They they're opening a second, maybe a third restaurant or bar and they made all the right moves and they're getting punished for it for no reason, just because yeah. it was a global pandemic. And because, you know, as humans, we couldn't get our shit together. You know, for me, it was it was tough because obviously I'm not working. I'm not doing what I love to do. And I spent most of my time behind my computer screen, you know, like doing some consulting gigs and, you know, doing things, little things here and there to, to pay the bills and, you know, making TikToks. Yeah. <laughs> like, like every, uh, like every millennial, once the pandemic hit, I started making a TikTok. I'm not even a millennial, but, but I started doing that too. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. drive you nuts, but you got to oh, do yeah. something to make yeah. the time go. Exactly. Um, exactly. But you're coming out of it now. Coming out of it now. Um, yeah. People can see you at Allegory soon. When is that reopening? We will be reopening in July. Okay. So July yeah. is when people can go see it, Allegory. Yeah. And that's in the Eaton, Eaton Hotel in the D.C., Eaton downtown Hotel, yeah. D.C. Finally, just to wrap up here, tell me some of your favorites. Tell me your favorite cocktail bar in the country. My favorite cocktail bar in the country is probably Columbia Room in Washington, D.C. Wow. The it's in D.C. Room. Yep. The Tasting Room. It is it's, the best... The best bar experience I've ever had in my entire life was it's a special four course tasting where they design a very highly conceptual tasting menu for you. You get four drinks, four small little bites. It's very elevated, very thoughtful. I mean, there's some of the smartest people in the game. They were, they've been trailblazers for, for over a decade now. And I love that you picked a DC bar over New York. I've got all this list of New York bars. Don't get me wrong. Like Katana Kitten in New York, Dante, um, I mean, there's a massive list I could choose from in yeah. New York. 
but honestly i will i will never recapture the first moment i went to the tasting room in columbia room and had those like aha moments where i was like oh, wow this is i didn't know this was possible like it's yeah. such a cool experience you gotta do the tasting room it's it's reserved reservation only and it will shape the way you uh you see how cocktails can be presented it's wow it's super cool well, i was going to ask you the follow-up was going to be your favorite cocktail bar in dc but i guess that is that well, is it how I about mean, uh the uh the follow should be my favorite bar outside of dc is uh katana kitten up in new york katana japanese kitten. japanese themed highball bar they do gotcha. they do japanese cocktails with awesome little like bites like japanese sandos and it's just phenomenal it's an absolute party with some of the best cocktails you, you'll ever have that is great recommendations for our folks who love to drink cocktails um yeah. deke dunn thank you so much for joining us on cocktail conversations cheers cheers my friend good luck and we'll see you at allegory yeah i can't wait man really looking forward to it That was Deke Dunn, everybody, for our first cocktail conversation. Wow. Can you believe it? Look at all you learned. 120,000 people came through the Game of Thrones bar here in D.C. In one season, the toughest drink to make, the Ramos Gin Fizz, the best bar in the country right here in D.C., the Columbia Room, and the bartender's handshake. You now know what that is, the daiquiri, but not the daiquiri that you thought of. So much knowledge, so much information jam-packed into our debut cocktail conversation with Deke Dunn. We thank Deke so much. Again, you can see him at Allegory in D.C. this summer, coming up in July. Email me, davecatneys at gmail.com. Message me on Twitter or the Instagram at davecatneys. Send me your thoughts. Send me tips, potential guests, whatever you, whatever you like. Send me cocktails, frankly. Our next cocktail conversation is going to be about sex and relationships. Yeah, you may need more than one cocktail for that one. I'm excited about it. Hey, I'm going to go have another daiquiri. It's damn tasty. Go make one yourself. Enjoy it. And tip your bartenders. And then come back and listen to another cocktail conversation. See you next time.